This is Mobber Radio, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. There's a famous quote from three-time Tour de France winner Greg LeMond. It never gets easier, you just go faster. The quote can be a reference to a million different aspects of the sport, but it certainly applies to the progression up the ladder in domestic bike racing from a Cat 5 to a 4 to a 3, and ultimately all the way up to a Cat 1 or a Pro. With each new rung, we learn the one constant. Everyone around us is constantly moving faster. One rung from a 3 to a 2 is particularly challenging. It's not because something magical occurs, but rather it's all quite easily explained. When you make that step, you find yourself racing not just with your peers, but with your region's top Cat 1s, and that occasional pro that shows up just often enough that you know it's going to hurt when you see his or her name on the registration list. Even if you can find that elusive Category 2 only stage race or Criterium series, you find yourself lining up against all of the best Cat 2s in the area or in the region who are using this as their once a year opportunity to really go after those upgrade points that they've been trying so desperately to get in their Cat 1, 2, 3 races. Despite those challenges, a percentage of Cat 2s succeed and they make it all the way up to a Cat 1 or a Pro, and a new class of Cat 3s upgrade and take their place, and so it goes on and on. The guest on this episode, Scott Kozicki of District Taco Racing, is here to tell us about the challenges he's faced, going from the Category 3 properties on the Potomac Road Cup champ to racing alongside Mauber's best racers, the lessons he's learned, and ultimately, what it takes to stay positive and motivated and to keep coming out swinging. So Taco Bro, Scott Kozicki, welcome to Mobber Radio. Thank you for having me. Taco Bros really isn't the right term anymore, is it? I don't know. Yeah, now we got uh, Sydney and Sophia. So Taco Squad, I think is usually what we use. Sydney actually kind of got into a bad wreck a few weeks ago. How yep. is she doing? I think she's doing much better. I haven't actually talked to her too recently, but I know she's back on the bike. Um, She's definitely super motivated to get back out there. Um, she was riding very strong right before that, so I know she's quite hungry to get back into it. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Before we go any further, you know, normally we do these recordings in front of a live studio audience. Uh, the cats, I don't see any cats. The, the cats are away right now. They are uh, they're at the farm with uh, their sister or their cousin. I'm not really sure what the relationship is anymore, but they're they're at the farm enjoying the the country living in Virginia. But we got to talk about Murphy the dog. Oh, yeah. Murphy's kind of a celebrity, uh, a YouTube celebrity, and we'll link the video to the Facebook post about Murphy. But talk to us about the celebrity pup. So I, I can't go too much in the details since I, this is one of those you got to watch the video first. Um, but I will say it was, I forget the exact date, but it was the morning of Cap Cross in 2014. It was freezing cold. I did not want to go outside to run them around, so I decided to play around in the kitchen with a tennis ball with them. And was tossing around, and he was sliding around the kitchen on the wood floor, so I was like, oh, this would be kind of cool to get a video. And got, we'll just say, very, very lucky with the video. So we'll link that. Everybody can look at it, comment on it. All you got to say is that Murphy is dedicated to the task of chasing the tennis ball. Oh, yeah. No, and, and I'm sure some of you have met him since he is quite the staple at a lot of cross races. And if you've not physically met him, you've definitely heard him barking. Um, but he is very, very, very dedicated. Ultimately, he's okay. Oh, yeah. No, he's completely fine. That's uh, the other thing I was going to throw out, that when you watch the video, please watch to the end, and you'll see everything's perfectly fine. So let's go back to District Taco, because it's District Taco racing. 
because we gotta we gotta differentiate between the the chips and guac that we've got here and the guys and girls who are out there racing tell us about the club tell us about district taco so it is a very friendly group of guys uh, and girls um, very much community focused um, in a way kind of trying to change the mindset of what racing is in the area we're really trying to steer away from this whole idea of win-win-win at all costs and kind of everyone's working for one person. It's very much a, a one-for-all, all-for-one kind of mentality where if you're feeling good one day, say, hey, guys, I'm feeling good, and people are going to work for you. And, I mean, that's really the big thing about the team is everyone's really there for each other. Everyone's really working towards the common goal of, of the whole team. And beyond that, we're also trying to reach out in the community as much as we can, doing different volunteer events and helping out with races. We started up with Torpage County this year, um, a little bit of help with Route 1 Rampage, kind of got a little little late in the game there. Um, and then Armed Forces Cycling Classic, we're supporting that as well. And there's a somewhat unique commitment that I've noticed between District Taco racers. You're always there on the sidelines cheering for the other guys or the other girls who are in the race. And there's a very vocal, you know, there's a lot of moving up or telling somebody to move up. Um, are you guys really as close as it, it makes it seem? I would say so. Um, I mean, there's definitely that when you're in the middle of the race, there's there's kind of you put on that game face and you're really, you're really working for each other. It is kind of like a big family where you don't always love your brother and sister and you kind of want to yell at each other and get into fights. But at the same time, like the end of the day, you're all there for each other. You, you mentioned Osiris, um, a huge staple in the community, gives back, philanthropist, uh, kind of one of those American stories of triumph, success, and accomplishment. Tell us about the way that his ethos, his vision of team has kind of found its way into the bedrock of District Taco. It's taken me a while to really understand and appreciate who Osiris is and kind of, and where his vision is. Um, but he is, he's very much a giver and very much, he wants to, to really help other people realize what he's been able to realize in life, where if you really work hard for something and you're really passionate about something, you're going to be able to succeed. Um, and he really wants to give everyone opportunities to go out there and, and really give a hundred percent to go after their goals. And that's kind of what's, that's really fun on the team where if you've got someone who's feeling good. We're going to give them their shot and we're going to we're going to see what they can do. And, you know, Osiris has stepped back a little bit from the bike racing part of his world because he's entered the, the dominating period of District Taco. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, they're opening new stores in King of Prussia and in Pennsylvania and, and all over the place. So leadership has transitioned from the Osiris generation to a new generation. Yeah, I mean, Osiris, he's, since I've been on the team, he's never been the team president. He's always been more of a a kind of voice of, of enthusiasm, of motivation, of, of kind of spirit on the team. Uh, when I first joined, it was Scott Catanzaro, who was president, and then just this year got switched over to David Rogers. So Osiris is still, he's still very vocal, still very much the motivator on our team, but he doesn't, he's not as involved with team rides, as involved there in races, but he's still very much a, a motivator. And I think that District Taco is probably the only team in Mabra that has a, a true sister connection. Well, no, now that I take that back, Artemis does too, but a definite 
tie to a community outside of the United States in Osiris's hometown in the Yucatan Peninsula. Have you ever had a chance to go down? I've not. Um, I've heard nothing but great things going down there. Um, I feel like every time the guys come back from that, it's just like story after story. Um, but he's definitely very much giving back to the community down there and and trying to, I think a lot of it is just showing showing his passion and love of cycling back in his hometown. Not just back in his hometown, but now he's also transitioned to giving back to the community here. And that's a really big part of being a member of District Taco is community service, isn't it? Yep. What types of things do you guys do? Uh, so for Armed Forces Cycling Association Classic, they've got the challenge ride. Those, those veterans came from other parts of the country, flew their hand cycles in, and um, needed help assembling them. So we showed up and helped build those together and just kind of helped give them enthusiasm and welcome to the area. Um, we've also volunteered with, I'm feeling terrible right now that I'm blanking on the elementary school, um, but we kind of reached out to the school and did a presentation on, hey, we're District Taco Cycling and just got them motivated about getting outside, being active, getting on their bike. And from what I've heard of those there, it was a gigantic hit, especially Sydney. I mean, I've seen the, the Instagram feed, DT Racing, uh, positive pictures, healthy living, getting yep. out there, doing your job. And then doing everything off the bike. Yes. And, th and that's really one of the big things. It's not just, hey, we're going to put our helmets on, step on the bike, and like that's who we are. It's very much an on-the-bike and off-the-bike kind of mentality on the team. Now, one of the other sponsors that I think is really worth mentioning, because most of us as bike racers don't think that working out off the bike is an important aspect, but my coach and every coach that I think you'll ever talk to will say, you got to round it out. You got to do the physical therapy or the, the training, the strength training, strength and conditioning work. Rose Physical Therapy is one of your sponsors. They are huge. Um, I don't think we give them enough credit for what they do. Uh, I feel like it's almost a broken record where somebody mentioned in the team chat, hey, I've got something going on with blah, blah, blah. Next question, hey, go talk to Rose. Because I, it's countless people on the team who have gone to them with various injuries and they've straightened them out. Like I've had, um, I had shoulder surgery maybe like three years ago now and still like wasn't really fully rebounded from that, from the physical therapy with another group after that. Um, but we did some, some videos with them and they kind of walked me through a ton of different exercises with how to, to really build stability back in the shoulder and just how to keep everyday exercise you can do to, kind of, to basically stay strong. One of the reasons why you're here, obviously, I mean, you're a super cool guy and you brought chips and guac. I mean, I kind of have to. Yeah, I mean, that's that's actually the price that one would actually pay walking through the front door uh, here or cat toys. So thank you for that. Oh, I'm definitely not bringing cat toys. <laughs> um, I think if I brought those home, my dog would disown me. One of the reasons why you're here is because you're the 2018 Properties on the Potomac Road Cup uh, Cat 3 champ. So I forget the team championship as well. I was about to get there. And you raced on the team champion for the Category 3 team. And, and it was a, in both the individual and in the team competition, they, they were closer than one could possibly imagine. I mean, talk to us about those accomplishments. Where to start with that? Um, I want to say it was an extremely fun rivalry we had with NCBC last year. Uh, it's... It's kind of one of those when we started the year, we thought we would kind of do pretty well in the team competition, but we, we had no idea it would be as close as it actually was. Okay, so tell us 
about how Black Hill comes to be because I'm looking at your results. Tour de Tyson's probably not the premier event of your season, but nope. Black Hill 2018, there's a second place in the column. Yep. Uh, so I came out extremely motivated for that race. I was very frustrated with how Tyson's went. So I decided let's attack from the gun and ended up sticking a break for the entire race. And it was in the finish, I was with Bill Longwell. We kind of ended up doing a track stand on the top of the hill. We were just waiting for someone to kind of lead it out. And all of a sudden Bill just attacks from there. And it was Tommy Steinbrenner and I just did not expect this at all. And Bill takes off, gets the win from there. I end up getting Tommy in the sprint, but it was right then we kind of knew that was going to be the big rivalry for the year. And that's how it played out, not just for you, but for NCVC and District Taco as well. The competition between you and Bill came down to less than 20 points, and the competition between NCVC and District Taco was decided on basically the last day. It was, there was definitely some, I don't know if animosity is the right term, but frustration with what it all came down to. I, I think the math worked out to if Elk Ridge was scored as a road race versus a circuit race. And I think the, the frustration was the Cat 3 race had the qualifications as a road race, but the one two three races had the qualifications of a circuit race. So the entire race was deemed a circuit race, which gave it, I think it was like the one point multiplier versus the one and a half. And I think had that been the one and a half, NCBC would have won. That was very nerve-wracking. Um, I'd already got my upgrade at that time. So I think it was it was Rogers, Will, and I think Nick Taylor, maybe somebody else who was in there. And we thought we had it pretty wrapped up since they were all riding extremely strong. I think both Will and Rogers flatted. And I think Nick got like seventh or something. So it was one of these, like, we thought we had it wrapped up. And then when the race unfolded, it was like, we need to do some math right now. I think you've talked about it a little bit about setting goals in 2018 and whether or not the individual competition was a goal for you or was the team competition the goal? How did it start? It was, it was very much the team competition. I think we kind of toyed around with the idea of somebody getting the individual. When it first started, it was it was very much Rogers was our guy to get the individual since he had a big win at Jeff Cup, which was a funny incident since he had said, I think last lap, he had talked to me and Will basically saying, hey, it's got to be somebody else. I'm cramping right now. And I think we both ignored him and said, it was basically like, no, it's, it's still you. And he had just a monster sprint, took the win, had a lot of energy going to that. We thought he was going to just roll through the entire season, went into a bunch of group sprints. But he kind of, he wasn't riding quite as strong in sort of like the heart of the season. And that's kind of when I hit my stride with my form and got a lot of races that suited me. So I just ended up doing well. And I think the big key was Tor Washington County and winning GC and winning the road race. That was like almost all of my points. So we, we actually had to change the <laughs> rules because of Scott Kozicki and Steve Kuzi. This year, we uh, we drew back a little bit on the individual stages in the GC. Oh. Well, you still get points if you get in the top five. Yeah. So you're rewarded for taking a risk. You're rewarded for going out there. But we wanted to even the points out throughout the course of the season. And to be honest, when you look at your results for 2018, there's a lot of points distributed throughout the course of the season because there's a lot of single-digit numbers for top 10 results. You know, look at 2018 and tell us what were the highlights. I think... It was really a stretch of three weeks from 
it was Kopi, then Virginia State Time Trial Championship uh, one weekend, followed by Armed Forces weekend, followed by Washington County. My two targets were Kopi and Washington County, and Kopi was like was really the A, and Washington County was kind of like your your A minus. And Kopi did not go to plan at all. I I still got fifth, which I can't really be upset with a fifth fifth place finish, but it was a race like I really wanted that year, and I thought I had good legs for it, but it just didn't play out that way. Um, so I was a little bummed actually after that, and then went down to what was it um, like Newport News area for the state championship time trial, just kind of as like, I think I decided on that maybe like the Wednesday or Thursday that week. Thought I had horrendous legs. I think my power meter was miscalibrated. And it was one of those where I remember thinking like, should I just give up or should I just like keep going? Thank goodness I actually kept going since I ended up winning by like five or six seconds, something like that. Um, so that was a huge unexpected victory on the year. And then going into armed forces, it was the 2-3 on Saturday, which is always the race you want to do well in. And I tell myself every year, get to the front, stay at the front. And I did none of that, got to the back, and got caught behind a split and just was very frustrated with myself. Um, so going into Sunday, I kind of had that little bit of chip on my shoulder. And I remember it was Ryan Chen kind of talked to me either that morning or the night before. and was like, hey, you're a guy today. And I was kind of like, oh crap, this doesn't really suit me super well. It's a crit. I'm not really that much of a sprinter, but I got incredibly lucky in that race. Um, going into the last lab, I knew I needed to be up at the front and I was not at the front. So I kind of hopped to the side and wanted to work my way up and fortunate to find an NCVC teammate, basically pulled me all the way up to the front and dropped me on Bill Longwell's wheel. So I was thinking, this is kind of perfect. And they ended up just hammering the pace on the last lap and were basically a guy short in the sprint. So Bill was dropped off with like 500 meters to go. And I'm just sitting, sitting there thinking like, this, this isn't real right now. I'm about to win a group sprint. I've got no business doing this since pretty much my entire racing career. I've always thought of myself as like a time trialist and just like an all arounder who can't really sprint. So for a dead flat sprint, this was like insane. And took off with 200 to go and just put my head down went as hard as I could, ended up winning. And then uh, my teammate, Adam Fulcher, was right behind me in second. And we almost snuck out and got third place with Nick Cordero, um, who got fourth, which was like a gigantic win for the team. Let's talk about one of the issues that I think is kind of important because it's an issue that uh, a lot of people talk about in general, and that's the presence of money in prize money in, in category three races. Uh, obviously the point of the category system is so that you graduate up with experience and you get to higher quality level races, you, you get longer races, you get safer races. But one of the things that we've talked about in Mabra is, is there a place for prize money in category three racing or should our promoters and, and race directors save that prize money and keep it in the race to make sure that the race is better. Were you motivated during your Cat 3 season by the money? There was absolutely no motivation for money. It was one of those things where it was almost, it was kind of weird getting the money since we very much had a system of the money is split between everyone. So I didn't really necessarily want the money. It was kind of, we wanted to do well for the team. And if we got money, it went to beer. So like after Armed Forces, we got a bunch of beers and they give you this big crystal vase. So we filled it up with some beers and all enjoyed a nice communal beverage on the sideline. 
which is actually kind of funny since when they gave me the trophy, they gave me the women's champion and not the, the three champion. So we didn't see this until after the woman had already left. Uh, it was, I think it was kind of Ryan who won. So I hit her up on Instagram saying like, uh, I think I've got your trophy right now. I don't think you really want a cat three, four men's trophy. So she didn't get back to me until after we'd already filled this up with beer. So she comes walking over with the trophy and we're drinking out of hers with the beer. Um, I think she found it pretty funny. Um, she took a swig as well and then rinsed it out as well as best we could with water and exchanged trophies. Did you get an Instagram picture out of it? I don't think it went on Instagram. Someone's got a photo somewhere. We need to dig that up. I think that the, the celebration needs to be celebrated more on social media. Because yeah. some, people, some people have incredible celebrations. Uh, Julie Kalitza's picture from this weekend at Poolsville, there's clearly emotion there. Uh, I heard Bill Longwell win at Bunny Hop a long time before I saw it. And there's a great picture of Bill winning Bunny Hop and the 1-2 from last week. I don't think I saw that. Oh, it's... it's. I'll definitely take a look for it. I'm, I'm really, really excited for Bill. Um, as much as we had this rivalry last year, he's he's really an incredible person. And he's like, there's I don't think there's any animosity between us, despite the fact that whenever we face off against each other, we want to beat them. Of course, because that's competition. Yeah. So you've made this transition in the bike racing world uh, from being a Cat 3 to a Cat 2. Uh, one of the requirements for winning the Road Cup as a Cat 3 is that you upgrade or at least submit an upgrade request. That really wasn't a problem for you <laughs> because you upgraded in like late June. Yep. And uh, you started racing in the one two three fields after that. But I would say that there's probably four, maybe five transition points in a bike racer's career. So deciding to pin a number on for the first time. So now you've gone from recreational to competitive, uh, picking up that first win. Mm -hmm. Some of us, it takes several years to get there, but we get it. Upgrading to a Cat 2, probably really close to one of the hardest transitions, and then getting that pro license, because now you're in, a, you're, you're in a different world. Oh, yeah. So upgrading to a 2. It's a completely different race. I was... I don't. I really didn't do that many one, two, three races when I was a three. So I think I'm trying to remember the first race I did, but it was a lot faster than I was expecting. Um, I didn't realize from the gun people are just trying to string things out, trying to get a break right away, and no one's usually willing to let it go. Um, I know in the threes, a lot of times it turns into like, yeah, we'll let them sit out there, we'll let them we'll let them fry, and then we'll bring them back, and it'll be fine. The one, two, threes, it's. Everyone's hungry, everyone's strong, everyone's going for it, and it's a lot harder. What about your margin for error? Have you noticed that margin is... <laughs> oh, the, the margin's like completely gone. In the threes, I realized that if I need to get to the front, swing out wide, bring myself up in the wind, and then just kind of slot in, one, two, threes, you can't do that. If, as soon as you get to the front, you'll be gassed, and you're not going to be really that useful. Um, I know in Poolsville this past weekend... I tried to bridge up to a break and it was laughable at best. It was, <laughs> it was not pretty. Definitely still very much in that, that learning, um, learning curve kind of section since I know so far in the spring, I've not been happy with how I've raced. I know I'm doing a lot of little things wrong that I, I've recognized that I need to fix, but I've just still like making those same mistakes. Um, and it's a lot easier with the threes where you can just kind of overcome those mistakes with better fitness. Where are we going with that? 
I'm just Learn. wondering what you're learning. <laughs> what, are the, what are the big lessons that, are, that have been learned during the course of the, 20, the end of the 2018-2019 season? The biggest lesson is you need to be at the front. Otherwise, you're, you're not in the race at all. And that's one of the things I've struggled with the most is I know my team's needed me at the front when I haven't been there. And it's been, I've, ver I've struggled quite a bit with just kind of like wiggling through the pack and really finding my way to the front and staying at the front. It's, I think everyone knows they need to be up there. So everyone's works a little bit harder than you. And I've become a little too complacent and just find myself at the back too often. So Scott Kozicki, cat three champ racing now against Steve Kuzi, cat one champ. Uh, you're learning that there's a reason why it's hard to follow his wheel or the wheel of DJ Brew or the wheel of Patrick Jarawan. Oh, yeah. I think it was the first race I had as a Cat 2. I did a Church Creek time trial, and I vividly remember him flying past me maybe like 10 to 15 minutes into the race thinking like, crap, I'm racing against this guy. What are, you, what are the specific things that you're working on? What are the ones that, you know, like for me it was always don't think, just go when you see that wheel go by you. I think it's more committing to moves and not really, it's, it's being decisive with the moves you make and not just kind of thinking like, eh, maybe I shouldn't have done this, maybe I should have done this, I don't know. It's more, if you're going to do something, do it and do it hard because you only have so many shots to actually make an impression in the race and you need to make sure that those count for the team. Where are you going from here? You're, you're wearing the Dirty Kansas shirt, so oh, we yeah. got to talk Dirty Kansas first. Yeah, so this is actually, this is, I mean, one of the struggles I've had with this year is I've not really been training for road racing at all. Um, I started off the season training up for a marathon in March, and then as soon as I got like a week of recovery in, transitioned completely to Dirty Kansas. And that has been my main focus really for the past, what, like two months now? So some people may ask you, why do you want to ride on gravel roads for 200 miles? First of all, gravel is more fun than, than, than asphalt. You and Ryan McKinney seem to be of similar mind there. It, there's something about it when you, you start riding on gravel. You just like, you want to ride harder. You want to kind of be a little more loose on the bike. And you just want to kind of have fun. I feel like on asphalt, you're sort of just, oh, I'm doing my miles, doing whatever. But on gravel, it just adds like the little little bit of excitement. Um, but really, this all started back in 2016, um, or maybe even 2015 or before that. I really got the idea planned in my head that I want to do it to Kansas, and I want to, I think it was get on the podium at the time for the like 29 and under category. So I ended up doing the race in 2016, was doing great for the first like 90 miles, maybe 100 miles. And then I bonked harder than I think I've ever bonked before and went from having this goal in mind to just trying to survive. Um, I remember just laying on the side of the road and there were cop cars that were driving by, I guess like making sure that people didn't die or something. And I remember trying to look alert when the cop cars went by so that they wouldn't pull me from the race. <laughs> so... <laughs> I eventually got to the third checkpoint and I realized like, okay, I really need to like take some time here, get some food in me, get completely recovered. And that third checkpoint to the finish was honestly an awesome ride. It's just all the stress of, Hey, I'm trying to go for a certain time went out the window and it's just like, let's ride with some people. Let's have a good time. Let's enjoy this event. Did you make it during daylight? Oh no. That was, I think like my B goal for the race. And 
once I realized that wasn't happen, happening, that's when I was kind of like, let's just have fun with this. So 2019, do we have goals? Oh, yeah. Are you willing to share them? Yeah, why not? I don't think any of my competitors will be listening to this, although who knows? <laughs> Ted, so, King, Ted King is a regular on this. He's totally So I'm not competing against Ted King. I'm doing something something crazy. So I do kind of need to give a a little bit of a nod to Bill Shiken. Go since right ahead. He's, I know on his podcast, he's kind of ripped into people who are masters racers and single speeders who decide to do those categories so that they have a chance of winning. One, if they go to the elite category, they won't do quite as well. I'm doing single speed, so I can win. And that is that is the goal. Um, I think it's pretty realistic. I've been racing single speed in cross for the past, well, like two, two and a half years. And I've done decently well. And I'm very comfortable on single speed bikes, so I think it's a pretty realistic goal. Team goal. Let's get back on pavement, because Marble Radio is road. <laughs> you don't uh, want to talk about Dirty Kansas? Uh, we talk about Dirty Kanza because we talk about Dirty Kanza because I, I, I happen to have graduated from the University of Kansas. That's true, yeah. So, you know, go Jayhawks. That being said, District Taco, Scott Kozicki, road 2019 goals. How are we doing? Team goals? Not well. I don't even paint a picture that this has been a great season so far. I think we've got maybe one okay result but it's it's really been a lot of frustration of missing moves and just not getting in the right move um i think our goal for the year was to win the team cup but i right now that's not looking very likely i'm not going to say hey we're not going to do it let's just like throw the towels in and quit for the year but i don't know what the overall team goal is now i think it's going to be a lot more let's have guys get some good results in individual races i know the race that people are targeting that people can do well in it's just a matter of getting the cards together getting chips line whatever that expression is and uh we mix metaphors on mobber radio all the time it's amazing yeah so let's mix something there and Get something together and get a good result for a few guys. But you can't discount the fact that at the first green jersey event of the year at Carl Dolan, the top three, cat three men, were all District Taco. Oh, yeah. No, our... So, sorry, I was talking about just the one, two, three team. Our cat three squad is... They're on fire. They are crushing it. Um, We have a, I think, continuation from last year, just a lot of strong guys who have learned how to race and are still learning how to race and just are doing very, very well. But the beauty is now those guys are cat twos or yep. they're darn close to being cat twos. So they're going to be a part of this resurgent second half of the year. You're like the 69 Mets just ready. That was before my time. Oh, it was before <laughs> my time too, but they, they beat the crap out of the Cubs in 1969 who were uh, on pace to have the best baseball season ever. Oh. So yeah, I mean, we've got a lot of energy in the threes coming up. So I'm, I'm definitely hopeful the second half of the year we'll we'll kind of get that new energy and get the new guys on the team. We're really motivated to to come out there. Like I know Nick Taylor came out for Poolsville, and it wasn't for the flats that it seemed like a lot of people had. Um, he was feeling very good that day, and I know he got in one of the early breaks and was kind of wondering like, what am I doing here? This is some of the strongest guys in the region, and I'm just hanging on for dear life in this break. But it's the kind of thing where we've got a lot of talent, we've got a lot of motivation. It's just, it's really bringing the pieces together and and squeaking out some, some good results. Let's do what we do here. So we've got the AMP Human Performance Lightning Round. Uh-oh. Are you ready for Lightning Round questions? 
One one condition. Okay, one condition. No superhero questions. Oh, I've <laughs> I've been listening to the podcast. I know you've asked that to almost everyone, and I I'm not a comic book person at all. So it's to okay. avoid the awkward, who are the superheroes that I might relate to? We. <laughs> well, great. Now I got to come up with question number five, seven, and nine. It was all going to be. This is a lightning ones. round that's being turned around on you. I know. It's gonna make, making me think. Okay. Question number one Rim or disc break? Disc. Favorite Mabra kit other than District Taco? Come on. Other than District Taco? Argyle Tacos. That is, that's the best one out there. Okay. But I'm going to go with Bluemont Connection. A very clean. Very simple, yellow and blue. The race you most want to be on the podium of? Kobe. First one as a Cat 5. Absolutely love the course. And I know it's going to be a lot harder in the one two threes, but let's do it. So this one's important because it's sponsor-related. The go-to meal at District Taco. Ooh. I really have a few. I think it's got to be the fish tacos. Flour tortilla. El Jefe style or American? Oh, as they come. The mobber racer you most want to be in a breakaway with? Oh, this is a loaded question. It's got to be someone who I'm not going to get dropped by, so I can't say koozie. <laughs> um, probably PJ. The color that looks best on you? Yellow. Maybe with some, some black in there, a little bit of red accent. Sunglasses. Under or over the helmet strap? Over. The best time of year to be a bike racer in dc it's got to be fall cross season plus all of your your fall riding vibes the movie character not superhero not super villain (laughs) you're making up questions on the spot this is hard but you got to do it the movie character that you most aspire to be like on the bike only because I just watched this movie on an absurdly long trainer ride last Sunday, Neo for The Matrix, because he can adapt to all these situations, and I mean, he's the one. The local climb, this is the last question, the local climb. Are there climbs around here? You want the Strava KOM on. Oh, oh, this is, okay. I've had some battles with people for KOMs. Yeah, I think it has to be anglers, just because that's kind of like the climb. We, we've actually talked about trying to do like a lead out train up that, but it's never really come together. But I think that is kind of like the climb to get. So Scott Kozicki, thank you so much for being on Mava Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me. The pros are coming. The pros are coming to Mabra. If you catch a Paul Revere history vibe here, we're going to transition away from bike racing for a second, talk history. The famous ride of Revere from Boston to Lexington and Concord back in the late 1770s to warn American troops who were stationed in those two locations about the impending arrival of British redcoats. Most people think that Paul Revere shouted, the British are coming along the entire course of his ride. Every historian who's worth his or her weight disagrees with that, because why would you shout, the British are coming? Most American colonists at the time thought that they were British, so it's kind of like saying, we're coming, we're coming. Reality is, he probably said something more along the lines of, the regulars are coming, or the redcoats are coming. Uh, But little known fact, Revere never made it. 
all the way on his ride. He was actually intercepted by the British and uh, arrested for an evening before being released the next morning and sent back just in time to arrive at the famous first skirmish of the American Revolution on the Lexington Green. Uh, another famous American rider about two years later, however, did succeed in her entire ride, and that's Sybil Ludington, who was able to warn and gather 400 troops near Danbury, Connecticut, at the tender age of 16. So even back then, the women were doing it right when they go out and ride. In next episode, we'll be talking with riders from Cliff Bar and Super Mint Hoggins Berman about being pro bike racers. They'll be here for the Armed Forces Cycling Classic, and probably already some of them are here for Wilmington. It'll be a great opportunity to find out what it's like when you get that little P on your license. Until next time, please remember to like, share, subscribe, leave us a comment, send us an email. Let us know what you think about Marble Radio and what we should be doing in the coming months. Thanks so much.